welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, you can be dismissed at Children's Church at this time if you wish. If you wish to stay with us, we would wish to have you with us, but understand if you want to go back to Children's Church this morning. Uh, The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Ezra chapter 4. I read a portion of that chapter, not the whole thing, and you'll see why. It's a lengthy chapter, a complicated chapter at times, but Ezra chapter 4 is where we are. Have you thought this way before? If I'm doing things right, things should go easily. Have you ever thought that before? If I'm doing this right, if I'm obeying by doing things right, certainly things should go easy. We have this basic assumption behind our thinking that obedience equals ease. And then maybe you get into the world of parenting, and parenting is challenging. Does it mean that you're doing something wrong? Maybe, but maybe not. When work is difficult, when pastoring is difficult, does it mean that you just don't have it figured out? Maybe, but maybe not. When marriage is not full of fairy tale bliss, does it mean there's some major flaws? It just means that things are difficult. And we're seeking to honor the Lord and things are hard. Discouragement often comes up and becomes quite the party pooper. I remember when we were just a couple weeks ago, we're coaching a little kid's basketball team, me and my wife. And one thing I always told the kids on defense when they play defense at the beginning of the season is, I want you to defend so tight and so aggressively that they wish they didn't have the ball. Like, I want you to frustrate them so bad that they wish that they just would not pass the ball to them. And they would not, because you're intercepting the pass, you're all up in their face, Because you know this basic principle that when you become frustrated, then you become discouraged, and at some point, you break. Even if you're doing everything right, some frustration may come in, some outside opposition may come in, and even if you are a wonderful basketball player, whatever it might be, when that outside opposition comes in, you can break something and break someone. I love the quote from uh, the baddest man on the planet, Mike Tyson, who was asked by a reporter one time uh, that if he was worried about Evander Holyfield's fight plan, and he responded, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And the people of God had a plan. They had a plan to go back under the the, uh, decree of uh, King Cyrus to go back and rebuild the temple. And here we find that they're bearing one of the heaviest weights that we sometimes bear as Christians is discouragement in the face of opposition, especially after getting punched in the mouth. So let's stop and remember where the people of God are at this point. After decades of exile, you remember, they are finally back home in Jerusalem, the place where they will get to worship their God as prescribed in the Old Testament. And they don't waste a lot of time. Within months, the Bible tells us of their return, they place their proverbial flag in the soil. Uh, The Bible says that there are people in the land and they're fearing these people in the land, but because they were fearful, they they, they worshiped. The Bible tells us that they, they, they place their flag, if you will, in that soil and they build the altar and they began to worship and they were gathered as one man. The people feared They feared the people of the land, so they worshiped. 
But now we're reading in Ezra chapter 4 that all of this work had ceased. Work had ceased, and the people of God, maybe you felt like this before, spiritually, the people of God, they're discouraged, they're in a rut, they're at a standstill, and they are lethargic. In fact, the prophet Haggai describes this. Haggai will, will come into the picture in chapter 5, and we have his prophecy in the Old Testament. Haggai says that they were simply saying this. They were busy in everything else going on in Jerusalem at the time in the surrounding area. But they said the time had not come to build the temple as they had been told to do. Discouragement had entered in. This is just sanctified speculation here because we're not told this. But, but I wonder if some of that discouragement snuck in that moment when they were celebrating the foundation of the temple being laid. When, when some of the, the, the older men who had seen the temple before began to weep loudly, I just wonder if that moment when among the shouts of praise and shouts of joy, this shout and weeping and, 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 and mourning that it wasn't what it once was, I, I just wonder if discouragement began to, to sneak in. Either way, a people once gripped in fear that responded in worship and obedience are now gripped with fear and have become discouraged and lazy in regards to the Lord's work. So that's what we want to look at this morning. How did this happen? How did they get to this point of discouragement? How did they get to this point? The first thing that we need to point out this morning is how they got into this place is that they folded to opposition. So that's point number one this morning. The people of God folded to opposition. How did this come to be? You just heard me read a second ago in Ezra 4, 1 through 5. The people returned to the land. The, the foundation of the temple is being lit, has been laid, but, but now what happens? Adversaries arise. People that had already been in the land before them, and adversaries they offer to help. They, they, they say, we've been here since this king of, of Assyria long before, and he has placed us here. We've been worshiping the same God you are. Help is offered, but do you notice what the people of God do? They, they, they smell it out. They, they, don't, they, they, they don't bite. Help is offered, but help is Deny. Now, now, why is this? It's, it's not a bigotry thing. It's not because they, they didn't like them particularly. It's still a worship thing. That, that they know at the heart of this that they do not worship the same God. That they know at the heart of this, I mean, after all, if the nations began to come in and saying, yes, we are here to worship the one true God, we're here to worship Yahweh, they would have let them in to worship and to help. But that's not what's going on here. They're still putting their flag in the soil. That we worship God and we worship God alone and we will not give to that. This syncretistic religion that you have worshiping other gods and claiming to worship the one true God, we will not bite. This is good. It's opposition, you, you, you see, but it's good. And they show their true intentions, these people of the land do, because when the help is denied, do you, do you see what they do in verse 5? They said, no, we, will, we alone will build to the Lord. This is a matter of worship. They're still responding in worship. They're still responding in full-hearted devotion to Yahweh, and we will not give on that. There is only one way, and it is 
God and God alone. And you imagine, you as Christians, we preach the exclusivity of Christ. Does opposition rise when you do that? It did for them. We alone will build to the Lord, they said. And listen to what they do, the people of the Lamb. They discourage the people of Judah. So they face opposition, and now they're going to get the punch in the mouth. And they made them afraid to build. And here it comes. Here comes the uppercut. And they bribe counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of King Cyrus of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That's 16 years. 16 years. The people of God remain firm, and maybe you you felt this before too. Not only when you do things like preach the exclusivity of Christ do you find opposition, but you find that as you remain firm in your faith, things get harder. Like, like there, there, there are problems that you face in, in the workplace or in everyday life because you are a Christian. Christianity doesn't take away your problems. Following God doesn't take your problems. Sometimes it puts a new set of problems before you. If you're an athlete, you have a new setup. You have, you have to work out. You have a new setup that you want to, if you're a farmer, you have crops that you've got to take care of. You have a new problem that you once didn't have. When you follow Christ, obedience doesn't always equal ease. And in fact, obedience might put a new set of discouragements in front of you. So their initial response, like most of us when we face opposition, was God honoring. But, but, when the consequences of following the Lord became evident, that they were discouraged that counselors were bribed. It's like, like going to the parish and, say, and paying off the official there and say, don't let them build. When the consequences of following the Lord became evident, they began to back down. People were bribed. They were discouraged. They were intimidated, and they got afraid. We start strong, And then we find ourselves compromising, and sometimes the compromise begins, like you see here, with simple fear. What might they do? So the people of God have folded to opposition. And here's where it got them. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is how kind of that happens, this this folding to opposition. But something else that I want you to see as we continue through this this morning is the fruit of folding to opposition. We see that they were afraid. We see that they stopped doing the Lord's work. But in Haggai, the prophet Haggai kind of describes what's going on for these people in the 16 years from when they laid the temple. That's the end of verse 5 from Cyrus, king of Persia. Follow along with me here. Even until the reign of King Darius, that's when they'll get to work again. So in those 16 years, Haggai steps in and speaks to God's people. Here's what he tells them. Here's how he describes what's going on. You can turn there or just listen. This is Haggai 1, verse 5 and following. So this is the fruit of folding to opposition. Here's, here's where it's got them. Now, therefore, Haggai speaking, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here's what's going Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. 
You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And you earn wages so that you put them in bags without holes. Verse 7, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Do you get the picture of what Haggai is saying here? When we fall to opposition and when we cease doing the Lord's work, you get this picture of excuses. It's not yet time to do the Lord's work. You get this picture of this, this selfish busyness. They're, they're busy doing anything but the Lord's work, and you get this picture of dissatisfaction. Like no matter what they do, no matter what, how many crops they plant, they're not having the harvest they need. No matter how much food they eat, they're not satisfied. No matter how much money they make, it just slips through these money bags with holes, and they are never satisfied. When we fall to opposition the fruit that we are looking for, they're probably looking for peace. If I just don't deal with this, then I'll have peace, right? That never produces. And maybe you've experienced this before, maybe times in your life where you haven't been following Christ or before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were living your life, but something was missing. You just could not get satisfied. No matter how much money you made, no matter how much food you ate, no matter what you did, you just could not get satisfied. That's where the people of God are. That is the fruit. That is the harvest that they are experiencing from stepping away from the work of the Lord. So maybe you can identify with that current situation. Maybe you understand how 16 years of lethargy happens. But notice this. What has changed in Jerusalem is not opposition, but the people's response to opposition, right? Fear was there from the beginning. Opposition was there from the beginning. In chapter 3, they chose to worship. In chapter 4, they chose to stop and fold to opposition. And here's where they find themselves. Instead of being opposed and growing in worship and worshiping more, and their worshiping increasing, Instead, worship did not increase, but worship began to cease in the land. Instead of joy and endurance, they are busy and unsatisfied. So the people of God, they fold into opposition. And number two, the people of God are experiencing in these 16 years this fruit of opposition. And so let's keep pressing in to that truth of opposition. Here's the third thing that I want us to see. We have to do some work here, so have your Bibles open to Ezra chapter 4. I want you to see the frequency of opposition. That's what Ezra's after here. Now, now, this is where the chapter kind of gets confusing. If you look through Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, the, the building stops, and, and he says the building stopped between King Cyrus. Do you see it at the end of chapter, uh, ver, excuse me, at, at the end of verse 5 of chapter 4, in the days of Cyrus to Darius, king of Persia. Now, now, follow along with, are, are you one of those people that, like, you're watching movies and there's all these storylines going, and you're the one like, dude, I got some questions. I have no idea. Are you like a talker during the movie that's, like, answer, asking questions? I'm more of a sleeper during the movies. Like, if I get lost along the way, like, I don't understand this timeline. I don't want to, like, like, wake me up when it's over so I can go to bed. Like, that's me. Some of you are, are question asked. So, so don't go to sleep. Ask some questions. And let's see what Ezra's trying to say here. Because you see, so look at this timeline here. Ezra chapter 4, 1 through 5. 
That's kind of present day, what he's talking there. And if you turn your Bibles to Ezra chapter 4, verse 24, he picks back up. Then the work of the house of the Lord Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So make a note in your Bible. Write that in your Bible. At the end of verse 4, he picks that back up in verse 24. But he is saying something between then. He, he takes this excursus into the future. He is flashing forward a bit as Ezra is writing this years later. So in the modern time, he's saying, in, in, in the current timeline, the building of the temple has stopped up until 16 years later where this king comes. He said, we're going to get back to that. We're going to get back to that. But he points out two particular kings. Verse 6. Are you with me? Verse 6. So, so maybe bracket off verses 6 through 23. This is kind of an excursus for him. Leaves 5, picks back up in 24. In the middle, there's these excursus, this, this flashing forward. Look at verse 6. And it's so big. Like This sent me like in mental circles this week. But, but what Ezra is saying, I think, is so important. Verse 6 of chapter 4, if you're still with me. Don't go to sleep. And in the reign of Ashuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. One verse about this king. This is King Xerxes. That's easier for me to say than what's written there. I practice that and practice that. It's easy for me to say Xerxes. That's the same name of Ashuerus that is there. Ezra is jumping forward as people are reading this, as you are reading this. This is written, as Paul says, for our instruction. He flashes forward some 35 years to King Xerxes, Xerxes in chapter 4, verse 6. This is the time. Do you remember Esther? This is the time of Esther. It's also when Ezra would have been introduced when he comes back to the promised land and comes back to Jerusalem in the second wave that comes back from exile. At this point in verse 6, the temple has been built, but the walls have not yet been built. That's where Nehemiah will come in to build the walls. And so he's flashing forward another 35 years when the temple is complete. So let that sit with you for a second. Here's what Ezra's saying. Guess what, people of God, who are facing opposition, the temple is laid the, and it, in verse 5 and it's not yet built. Let me tell you something. In the next generation, guess what? In the new generation of King Xerxes, they faced opposition, just like you. And, and in fact, the next generation, they faced opposition as well. This is verse 7 through 23 in the in, in the days of Artaxerxes, the one who followed Xerxes, this is who we will pick up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. He's flashing forward again, fast forward again to the days of not Nehemiah, where the walls are being built. It's Artaxerxes who Nehemiah, if you remember, is the cupbearer to. We'll get that into some weeks down the road. It's Artaxerxes who begins to put some of this opposition into official documents. We'll talk about that more in a second. 
that they began to accuse them of things, that they're not going to pay taxes, that they're going to overrun the king, that they're going to de- destroy what the, the king has, and you should be fearful of these people in Jerusalem. That's the next generation. And so in all of this, in verses 6 through 23, this little parenthetical moment that Ezra stops for, it's not meant to confuse us and overwhelm us so we fall asleep and say, well, what in the world happens? Ezra's saying, he's saying to you and me this morning, another king, another generation, more opposition. Peter would tell you something like this, dear friends, don't be surprised when you face that fiery ordeal. If just something unusual were happening to you. Here's what Ezra is saying. Here's what the Lord's saying to you this morning. There has always been difficulty in opposition. And there will always be difficulty in opposition. People of God who stopped laying the foundation of the temple, guess what? The next generation dealt with the same thing. And the next generation is going to deal with the same thing. The people of God have never had it easy. The young people think about this for a second. Maybe you think things like this, man, my parents have no idea what I face. <laughs> Guess what? In their generation, they faced opposition to following Christ. They, it might have looked different. Yeah, it looks different for them. Some is, you know, some is when they're laying the foundation. Some is when they're building the temple. Some is when they're building the wall. Some is official documents. Some are just accusations. It's all over the place. But, but here's the truth of what Ezra is seeing is that the people of God have always faced opposition. Guess what, kids? Mom and dad know what you face. Maybe not the type of things you face, but they know what it means to follow Christ and have problems for it. And this means in the next generation will probably face things unthinkable to my generation. Uh, there might be times in the next generation where, where people in our church are living in poverty because they hold to the exclusive, exclusivity of Christ or they hold to biblical sexual ethics. They might face a day where they are unemployable for those things that we don't face. There might be a day like that. But guess what? Just because opposition looks different and has different faces, every generation faces opposition. Don't not follow Christ because of fear of opposition. Don't think opposition is going to go away. Don't be surprised at opposition. Because here's the truth of the frequency of opposition. That's what Ezra is nailing down for us. It always will be. It always will be. And there's different faces to opposition. The frequency is opposition never goes away. Yes, there, there are times we're insulated from opposition, especially in, 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 our, in, our, in our area of the world. Yes, we get insulated from that sometimes, a little bit more than others. But opposition will always be. I think Ezra also wants us to see the, the faces of opposition. In all of these generations, there's different faces to opposition. We read about the people in the land wanting to build the temple with them, and they said, no, this will not be. We will not let this happen. And then they intimidated, us, intimidated them. So sometimes opposition in every generation, let's start to put some, nail this down a little bit. Here's what it looks like. Here's the faces of opposition. So we saw the frequency, let's see the faces of opposition. There's intimidation. 
So we see the first. They're, they're laying in the temple. They intimidated them. Started paying off officials, paying off people to frustrate them. It, it doesn't say they forced them to stop. They simply frustrated their purposes. They intimidated them and frustrated them, and that caused them to stop. Sometimes opposition looks like that. And sometimes that opposition is pretty effective. And sometimes opposition, if you look at chapter 4, verse 6, and, and this other king, King Xerxes, sometimes these intimidations become outright accusations. Because you see in the next generation, in the beginning of the reign of Ashwars, in verse 6, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, opposition is still there, and it's taking a different face, isn't it? And now opposition is not just mere intimidation. Now it is this written accusation. Now, now nothing is said about this particular accusation, but I imagine you can relate. They're beginning to stir up su suspicion about these folks in Jerusalem, about these people of the tribe of Judah. And we only get one verse, but you probably can think of a million different ways that people might accuse you of, of bigotry, of small-mindedness, or whatever, because you believe in Christ and Christ alone. And maybe you remember in 2013, there was a pastor, Louis Giglio, who had to back out of offering the benediction of, of a presidential inauguration day because he once preached a sermon about um, that homosexuality is a, is a sin. And so they accused him of things that caused him to have to back out of something like that. And perhaps you can think of the great accuser of the brethren and the lies of Satan who cast accusations at you all day long, that you're not good enough, that you're too sinful, that you're too whatever to be loved by God. So the faces of opposition are intimidation, accusation, and then we even get into legislation. And this is where the king Artaxerxes comes in. They, they write him a letter and tell him what's going on. Ezra spends the most time talking about this from verse 7 to 23. I'll just read part of it. Look at verse 11 to get an idea of what's going on here. They wrote to Artaxerxes and to, to this king, and he says, Now be it known to you that the Jews who came up, in verse 12 now, who came up from you have gone to Jerusalem. They are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. These accusations. They're finishing the walls. So we flash forward here. The temple's done. This is the day of finishing the walls in Nehemiah's day. They are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king that if this city is rebuilt and the walls finished, guess what? They'll not pay taxes. They won't pay tribute. Customer toll and the royal revenue will be impaired. And now because we eat the salt of the palace, it is not fitting for us to witness the king's dishonor. They're going to dishonor the king. And therefore we send and inform the king in order that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers. You will find in the book of the records and learn that this city is a rebellious city, hurtful to king and providences. And so Artaxerxes was read before him. Verse 23, And they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them deceased. So they put it in legislation. We're not just going to intimidate you. We're not just going to accuse you, but we're going to put it in legislation because we are fearful that you will take away our livelihood. 
You'll take away our food. You'll take away our glory. You'll take away all of this. So we're going to accuse you of being a rebellious city. And King Artaxerxes put that in writing. And in verse 24, by force and power, they made them cease. So opposition will always be. The faces of opposition may look different. But know that it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. In whatever generation you may find yourself in, whatever face of opposition you might face, whatever it might look like, it is necessary that you face it in order to enter the kingdom. So how do we face opposition? So we know the frequency of opposition. We know the faces of opposition. So how do we face opposition? There's, you might think of more. Let's start to enumerate these things. Here's a few that I've thought of. One, be realistic about it. Through many tribulations, you will enter the kingdom of God. Come to Jesus and you will have trouble like you've never had before. Don't be surprised by troubles. The farmer now has the crop. The soldier has battles. The athlete now has to exercise. So, so don't be, be realistic about it. You, you will face troubles in every generation. And number two, stand firm. Stand firm, Ephesians chapter 6, in the strength of his might, in the strength that the Lord provides. So be realistic about it. Stand firm in the face of opposition with this Holy Spirit-infused courage. Stand together. Notice when the people of God faced opposition well that they were gathered as one people in Jerusalem to worship. So not only stand firm, but stand together. A fourth thing, don't lose heart. Trials can make us lose sight of God. This can harden our hearts or trials can change our hearts. But don't lose hearts. Heart. Rejoice. Count it all joy, my brothers, James says, when you encounter various trials, knowing that they're producing something in you. So face trials with joy. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yours is the kingdom. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says, for your reward is great in heaven. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice. Listen. Listen to the Lord. Listen to what he is saying. Listen to things that you might need to repent of. Listen to the prophets. Haggai is where they're going here. Listen. Listen. Worship. This is what they neglected to do. This is what was causing all of this to unwind. Worship. 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 Submit yourself wholly to him. Face opposition by being patient. In a little while you will suffer, but glorious forever. These afflictions are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. They don't last forever. Opposition does not last forever. Pray. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So face opposition well. You will face opposition. It will take many faces, but face it well. And finally, let's in here, the fruit of facing opposition. Here's what I want you to know. Don't wait for fairer weather to start following Jesus. 
And don't underestimate what today's decisions might bring. For the people of God in Ezra chapter 5, it brought 16 years of dissatisfaction and lethargy by bowing down to their accusers and intimidators. Don't underestimate what today's decisions might bring. Also, don't overestimate how long it will take for things to change. After 16 years of lethargy, the people of God finally listened to the Lord's prophet and considered their ways, and within 24 days, they began to work again. After 16 years, God sent a revival among his people in a matter of weeks. So don't underestimate what today's decisions in the face of opposition might bring. And don't overestimate how long it will take for things to change. Because God's purposes will triumph. You are working towards victory. And God will exalt those he loves. So humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he will exalt you. Whatever anxieties you have about following the Lord in the face of opposition, cast all your cares upon him because he does care for you. Be sober, mindful, and watchful, minded and watchful. Your adversary is prowling like a lion seeking to destroy you. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Every generation, all throughout the world, just as Ezra said, they're experiencing all sorts of opposition. But be patient. Because after you have suffered just a little while, I know it seems long, it just, it's a blip on the radar. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We will suffer for a moment and then we will be restored of all our brokenness, confirmed against all of our uncertainty, strengthened from all of our weakness, and established in all our glory by our God. To him be dominion and glory forever and ever. Amen.